0: You are listening to From Sobretty to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobretty to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. And welcome back, my friends. We are still smack dab in the middle of our amazing National Recovery Month awareness, and all of that comes with it. I'm sure you are like me. If you have been on social media, you have seen a ton of people posting about National Recovery Awareness Month, and it's been a pretty spectacular time to just dive in a little bit deeper into myself and see where my recovery has led me all of these years and where I'm going with it. It's fun to take stock, take inventory of where I'm doing well and where I could be more desirably moving myself toward. And I have been having a really chaotic summer, and I don't know how the rest of it is for you all, but moving out of summer into another season, especially has i 'm now living in a state that has seasons, having left California and moved to North Alabama. I certainly do realize that very soon it will be colder and eventually it will be that cold rain and maybe even some snow. We had some snow last year and got to watch deer run around in snow for a day. That was super fun this year. no deer we 've moved out of that house and into our own home, and so this whole summer has been about moving forward in life i 've you know, left the rental world, and we've moved into home ownership, which you know brings its own <laughs> levels of just intricacy and chaos. I guess it's a mixture of both, and as well as you know, working on the business and going out and finishing up my certified recovery support, support specialist internship, uh, where I worked at his way, and also did uh, some time over at Wellstone Emergency Services here, and got to see two very different yet somehow intricately woven together methods of helping people along their mental health journey. And of course, I've now started my master's um, so I can become a, a therapist, if you will. It's called a clinical mental health counselor is the fancy title for it. And I just finished that first class. And I called it the how to be a student class because it really felt like that's what it was gearing me toward, how to write bibliography pages and write papers and do research and and things that I have done sort of for this business and for this show and for y'all, but not not being graded and not learning how to cite sources and bibliographies and everything being what it was for that class. I spent an inordinate amount of time uh, doing all of the work and it paid off. I got myself a nice little 95% in the class. I think I ended up getting 956 points out of 1,000. That was how that whole thing worked out. Uh, my first week, I didn't write one of the papers formally enough. Therefore, I went and got Grammarly to help me with that. So I lost 30 points in the first week and then managed to only, I think, lose 16 the rest of the time. So, 956, 14. So... All in all, very happy with the way that worked out. The very next class, the quote-unquote first real class, was about addiction. And so I've been doing a lot of research on addiction. I've got this big old fat thick thousand page book, uh, DSM-5-TR. And then there's another 400 page book that comes with it. It's just on addiction. And it's a lot. (laughs) I am actually questioning how I had time to do anything else in my life uh, because now I'm putting so much time and effort into this, these courses. And I know that this is the, my next two years. It's just going from, you know, it's literally one class ends on a Wednesday night at midnight. The next one starts up Thursday morning at like 6 a.m. So the interface just, it's constantly every week, it's peppering me with stuff. So I know I'm learning to habituate behaviors. Uh, I still have panic Now, I wouldn't call them panic attacks, but I have these anxiety attacks that come from not knowing where to find the information, not sure how I'm going to locate it and then read it all and then put it into a paper and make it sound coherent. So I get these anxiety stressor like waves. Um, And I'm very familiar with what it feels like within me to have these anxiety waves come at me. Um, It happens more frequently than I've probably discussed on this show. Um, because I find that the more I'm becoming self-aware about myself, and yes, it is a continuous journey, six and a half years in, and I still feel like I barely know the intricacies of Jesse Mogul. And it's like packing to go to my parents' house and being away from our home for that period of time. Because so we were gone for over a week. And just noticing how I would get anxiety about packing my suitcase and I get anxiety about packing up some of the things in my office and then, you know, anxiety as I'm packing the car and then anxiety as I'm on the road and you know, was the forty gonna be gentle on me from Memphis to Little Rock or is it gonna just be, you know, a semi truck nightmare like it normally is? Uh shout out to Aaron, our our member of our tribe who's a semi truck driver. Love you to death. You guys drive really well, but when there's four thousand of you in a hour and a half long space, it's very difficult to drive on a two-lane highway trying to maneuver around that and the traffic that comes from cars. It's a lot. It's a lot. And so what I've noticed is that I get these anxiety waves. And generally what I do to move through them is just to keep moving. And I didn't really think about what I was going to talk about on this show. This is going to be a little bit of a diary show. I'm just going to catch you up on what, my week and, and some of the things that I've noticed. One of the things I would like to discuss, just to give you a little rundown, if you're new to the show, this is going to be randomized at best uh, and rambling at worst. And it's also going to be an opportunity for you to just hear how I like to do this a little bit as a journal and not necessarily as getting a whole bunch of show notes in front of me. Trust me. I'm reading up a lot on addiction. I am going to be bringing some seriously amazing stuff to you all. This is not going to be one of those episodes. So I'm going to talk about my anxiety. I'm going to talk about the uh, the emotions that I felt whenever I broke my streak of ten thousand days or ten thousand steps a day. Uh, Very, very interesting how my emotions went on that when I botched it up at 73. I'm also going to discuss how I've been helping that one family get their daughter into addiction recovery and uh, having a family meeting and just being able to uh, notice the intricacies of that. So very informative, but also not necessarily as, uh, you know, structured as it normally is. So let's get into my anxiety. So it happens a lot. And I think that for a lot of us, anxiety and stress and these undesirable emotions, they can come in at waves. And oftentimes it can stop us in our tracks because we don't know what to do with these emotions. We've taken away what has normally held us back, what has muted us, the governor on our go kart of life, if you will. A governor is a thing you can put on a go kart So it only goes a certain speed. So if you've ever been to a go-kart track or driven a a golf cart and wonder why it only goes a certain speed, it's because they can put something on the engine that stops it from going faster. You can do the same thing to yourself. And for me, I generally find myself in positions of these anxiety, I don't want to necessarily call them attacks because I don't feel that they're attacking me as much as I feel like they're alerting me. So perhaps I'll call them anxiety alerts. For the rest of this show, because I didn't think about how to reference them until just this second. (laughs) And so these anxiety alerts come in. And for me, I believe that it's heightening my emotions to understand that something important is going on. We've talked about this. When you feel a charge, take charge meaning when you feel an emotional charge and I'm getting goosebumps on my arms right now and for you long-time listeners, you know that I have taken that as the meaning that I'm saying something important right now. So take notes or listen up or just kick back and enjoy as you've already been enjoying. <laughs> so I get these anxiety alerts. To me, it's you know when you feel a charge, take charge. So something important's happening. What is it that's important and what can I do in this moment to sort of level myself off? And generally... My main modus of operandi, modus operandi, sounds very smarty pants. My main uh, method of operation, if you will, is to just keep moving forward. When I stop, then I start to second guess myself. Um, If any of you have ever approached a stranger wanting to be a friend or, you know, hitting on somebody you found attractive at a a certain location, you might have found that the more you stopped and thought about what you were going to say, the more difficult it became to think about what you were going to say and then to even say something that was even halfway intelligible. (laughs) I remember that in my 20s. And that is very similar to how I experience it now in my late 40s, that if I just keep moving then it sort of all just will fall into place as well as it's going to fall into place. The overthinking can often stagnate the entire process of, of motivating yourself forward. Uh, then the second guessing and then in- negative internal self-talk kicks in, the automatic negative thoughts, those ants begin to overwhelm you. It's like they're crawling up off the ground all over your body. And before you know it, you're just like, I don't know what to do. So in order for me to combat that, I just start to pack. I just start to load the car or I just keep the car moving forward. Uh, I've generally found that it works well for me in that regard. And it's the same thing with school now. I open up these each week, another topic opens up. So there's eight weeks in a course and each week you can see ahead of time what's coming up, but you can't actually do anything with it until they open up those discussion questions and they open up, open it up for submission. So you can see what's coming and you can prepare for it, but you can't actually submit it till that week starts. So I can be prepared. And then this just use such big words, oh my goodness, like I, you've listened to me long enough. You know that I enjoy having a verbose vernacular, that I love knowing big words, and sometimes I use them not to sound smart, but just to find a place to use them. I got a little calendar that likes to teach me big, fancy words, and there was really no use for most of them. There's way simpler six letter words you know for you know uh heated discussion or uh you know uh than diatribe you know or you know nefarious, I say nefarious all the time it doesn't it could just be evil it doesn't <laughs> I like nefarious facetious was my word of the year one time I said it all the time, and I think it just means to be sarcastic. I could have just said sarcastic, but as a kid, I was a bit of a nerd, and I' like to learn words, and so this schooling is teaching me that big words matter when you're taking a master's level class. And whenever you're turning in work, they're expecting it to sound academic and all of this stuff. And it it's can feel overwhelming to me because I'm not used to this. I'm not used to the research. I'm not used to utilizing these websites they've given. And so where in your life are you taking on new things and you're not quite yet familiar with How to locate the new information, how to apply it to your life, how to begin to turn it into a habit that grows a skill that, you know, eventually turns into a talent that becomes passion, that becomes purpose, because this latter is happening all the time in our lives. We might pick up gardening and not really know much about how to, you know, plant plants and where do we get the soil and how often do we water it? Next thing you know, we're reading up about that and we're on social media learning how other people do things. There's a lot that we take on as humans that is new to us, but not all of it creates an anxiety or stressor inside of us because generally we can find somewhere in our lives where we've had some level of experience with things so that we can begin, our brain will literally just build a bridge. Oh, well, you once studied in high school and had to write a very smarty pants paper. So it's similar to that. What did you do then? Well, same that I do now. It's just, I I read the material. I start to take notes from it. Then I start putting it into a paper format and I just write conscious stream of thought right. I don't try to hold back anything or make it sound smart because the first writing just needs to get done so that there's something I can edit. And when I do it in Grammarly, it likes to tell me where my commas are wrong and where the misspellings are. And it likes to give me synonyms and antonyms of words so that I don't keep reusing the same word over and over and over again. So it does in many ways, copy edit my material for me as I'm going along. And it's really helpful to have that backup. And I would love for you to start noticing where in your life do you have a backup? Do you have perhaps somebody who's got a little bit more information, a little bit more experience in their life, and they can help guide you along so you don't feel like you're doing this stuff on your own? We talk a lot about the opposite of addiction is connection, There's a reason why meetings actually work because we go in there and we see other people at different stages and we can ask them, well, what was your experience when you did this? What was something that I could perhaps be mindful of moving forward? What's a roadblock that might come? What can I know now that I might really wish I had known, you know, in a month? This is why this stuff is helpful. And the university provides so many different resources from tutors to librarians who literally will get on a chat with you in the middle of the day within minutes and start answering questions about certain things. And absolutely, technology has improved this entire process for me. I've been able to find digital books of, of even my textbook, this thousand-page monstrosity that's sitting right next to me. I mean, if I hit myself in the head with it right now, I'd probably knock myself out. I found a digital version of it so that it's easier for me to control F and find certain parts and not have to go through the book. I'm glad I have the book, but I can see myself utilizing it a lot less now that I have a digital book. But one can you know, travel with me and the other one can you know, sit on my computer or vice versa. I don't know if you've ever tried to put a 1,000-page book in your backpack, but it is not light. So anyways, about the schooling. I get these anxiety attacks. I try to just move through them. And I realize that if I just do something, then I will start to be able to put things together. But if I do nothing, then I have no puzzle pieces at all. It is, it's like I haven't even opened up the box yet and I'm already freaking out about 5,000-piece puzzle. Like you got to dump those pieces out. You got to flip them all upright so that you can start to, you know, see the images on each piece. You know, you move all the border ones to their one little area. You build the border and then you just start trying to build it from there. And oh, look, there's a red door as part of it. Well, there's red pieces. Let's put that together and figure out where that goes later. That's how this schooling feels for me. And when I get the anxiety around it, I just start to do the research. I just start to pull out the pieces. I start to formulate the idea of what it is I'm trying to accomplish in my paper, right? Because everybody is going to have a different viewpoint. And so everybody's going to be turning in very different papers. And so I just simply say, okay, well, what's my viewpoint on this? What is the information I seek to convey? How can I back that up with research material, go out, start building the bibliography and before I know it, this whole thing starts to really work itself out. But if I sit still and do nothing, nothing gets figured out. It's the same way with packing up the car or packing the suitcase or thinking about dinner or wanting to go on a walk and wondering where I'm going to walk. You know what? I'm just going to walk out my front door and where I end up is just where I end up. And this is a great segue to the 10,000 steps because I really went out to Oklahoma beset upon this idea that I wouldn't allow being out in the woods and spending a few days on the boat here and there to stop that streak. I really was excited about starting up 117 days. I said, just do 117 days and figure it out from there. And 73 is where I got myself caught at. And I had been doing a great job. I mean, one night and the people in the tribe would know this, because I took a video of how dark it was when I was walking around outside at night on this gravel road in this I'd call it like a it's like a forest neighborhood, you know where there's houses every couple hundred yards, but there's really no street lights except for maybe like every quarter of a mile. And yeah, I mean there's probably varmints out there, you know, I wasn't too worried about being attacked by a bear or a fox or anything, but certainly I was told that those animals did exist in the forest and you know to be mindful of walking around at night and you know Hell hath no Jesse, like a focused dude, um, was out there with little flashlights walking around on a gravel road and, you know, midnight trying to get all my steps in. And ultimately, one day we were out on the boat, and it was just a long day and super tired, and I'd gotten up to about 6,000, 7,000 steps and went and started watching the Colorado game. Um, if you guys are into college football, you know a former NFL football player named Deion Sanders is coaching the Colorado team now, and everybody's super hyped on that, and I love that guy and follow him everywhere. So I got to watching that game, and before I know it, I was, you know, game was done, and I was asleep on the couch, and there went the streak. And when I woke up that morning and first realized that I had broken the streak, um, it was panic. It was anxiety. I had made this commitment to myself and it stopped. And it's almost like my brain didn't remind me, hey man, this is important. Get up and you know, you go get these steps in. There's looking back on that day, there was easily an hour I could have found somewhere in there that I could have been able to get those last three, four thousand steps. But that's not how it played out. And I have a lot of clients and a lot of people in the tribe who will make these commitments to themselves and then something happens and we miss a day, we miss two days. And I've always discussed this, that there's a feeling that comes from breaking a commitment to yourself. It could be not to use kratom or beer or marijuana for X amount of days. And then when that doesn't occur, we get this disappointment in ourselves. And it's Not, I'm not thrilled this happened, but it is enjoyable to experience this because I can bring it back to you all. And I think that's where this show benefits me is that I get to bring these experiences of what I'm feeling even six and a half, almost seven years into this journey and say, wow, this is still happening. And perhaps it's not something that ever goes away. And do I want that smidge bit of anxiety or disappointment to go away? I, I don't know. That's something that I'll have to you know, contend with and answer as time moves forward. But I do know that what I felt that morning when I woke up wasn't a great feeling about myself, even though I had accomplished 73 days in a row of 10,000 steps. There's still that little voice inside of me that wants to beat me up over the fact that it wasn't 74. And I dis just laid there. And I thought about, okay, well, I mean, that's a lot of days. That's 73 days in a row. That's 730,000 steps in 73 days. Okay. You know, you didn't get it this one day and you're not going to get it this next day because you have another long day on the boat. And honestly, by the time I, once I would broken it, I was like, okay, maybe this is exactly the break that I need. And I remember having this conversation with my mentor, Matt, who's the one who taught me all the NLP and and we still converse regularly. When Back when we were both up in the 400 days of 10,000 steps each day and us having a very mature conversation about stopping our streaks because it was becoming obsessive. It was becoming overwhelming. And while I would not attempt to build a bridge from four hundred some days of ten thousand steps being, you know, obsessive and overwhelming over to four hundred some days of not drinking or using drugs because we're looking to keep the alcohol and drugs out of our system. That that's a that's that is that is a decision we make to take this thing and, and move it out of our lives versus taking this really amazing um habit of walking and saying, Well, that's too much, don't want to do that. What is very interesting is, again, not building that bridge. Let's go go 14,000 days without drinking and using drugs. So we're not building that bridge. But where I would like to have the conversation expand is around this idea of the restriction equals friction, which I brought up in last week's philosophical episode. Because I don't feel that alcohol and drugs no longer being in my life is restricting. In fact, I feel like it's quite expansion, expanding. In fact, expansion was my word of the year, not this year, two years ago. And I'm all about this idea of expansion. We're looking for expansion. And missing out on the steps those days, here's the way I sort of notice it now that I'm about five days past. and I still haven't gotten 10,000 steps a day since then. Uh working on bringing that back in, and we'll discuss how to rehabituate something in a moment, but what I'm noticing is that because my idea here is to expand my life, if I had not you know not slept in till nine a m and gotten up earlier and gone off and gotten the steps, I would have been a little bit less rested for the boat. Two the idea of going out there was to spend time in a nice, peaceful, quiet opportunity with the girlfriend and to expand our relationships and have quality time together, trying to get her to leave the lake early in order for me to go home and get steps doesn 't seem conducive to the idea of expansion of our relationship. Then getting home at five o'clock having been gone for a meet of the Major proportion, the major meat of the day. And there's dad waiting to watch college football with me. And I did go there to spend time with him as well. And we definitely enjoy college football together and NFL. So now I've spent, you know, six, seven hours at the lake with girlfriend. And I come home and now dad wants some time. And so I could say, nope, I got to go walk for an hour and a half. And he's left alone again, having looked forward to having me sit next to him and watch football for months now. We've been discussing this. So then I would be using. Using steps as a way of constricting my relationship with him and with the girlfriend all in the same day rather than being expansion. So in a way, it was almost gratifying to be able to release that pressure I had placed upon myself and not been out there at midnight trying to walk the steps in the dark, not in a very safe environment, you know, as far as, you know, perhaps potential wildlife or whatever else. And so in the end, I'm not trying to justify the fact that it that it stopped because it stopped. Whether I try to justify it or whether that's how you're hearing this or not, it doesn't really matter because it stopped. It wasn't necessarily a conscious decision on Saturday to not get 10,000, but it was conscious on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and now here we are on Wednesday to not start it back up. And let's get into that because there is a part of me that feels like, 73 with so many how am I going to get back up to 73 to still get to 117? And I've noticed over the last two days since I've been home, that's actually stopped me from going out and getting steps. And luckily girlfriend yesterday was like, hey, let's just go for a walk. And so we went for a, you know our usual walk and got 6,000 steps. And I was like, okay, this is a good movement in that direction. And so I can tell from what I'm feeling that you're all probably feel something similar when you have yourself a bit of a streak. You've been going to the gym X amount of days in a row. You know you haven't used uh, your favorite drug of choice or alcoholic beverage for many days in a row. And then all of a sudden you go from that 21 or 42 or 73 days. And in a way you go back down to one. Um, and I say in a way, cause we've discussed that really it's 73 days of 10,000 steps out of 78 potential days of 10,000 steps. I still accomplished so much in those 73 days. In those 73 days, I went from being in the 190s down to the high 170s in weight, monitoring my food, of course, like I tend to do, but it's still not a lack of accomplishment just because the streak stopped. It's just an opportunity to prove to myself that I can launch another streak. And I want you to experience it too. Yes, that first morning, I had to embrace the the negative emotions. They were going to be there. I wasn't going to try to resist them because they would just then persist. So I said, "Okay, it's done. It, the decision's done. Whether I consciously made the decision at you know twelve o'clock to s- keep sleeping on the couch or not, which I." It wasn't like I woke up and said, "Well, I could go get steps," but no, I'm good. I literally just slept through the midnight time. When the day clicks over, boom, here I am. Now, sometimes we make these decisions on using or eating or something of that nature. You know, the next, the previous day, and we're actually very conscious of it, and we we you know it's going to stop a streak. The key is to realize that. I didn't, you know, like any of us, we have a choice on whether we're going to completely relapse and go back to the way we used to be or even worse, or whether it was just a lapse, whether it was just, it's just a day. It was just one missed day. In the course of 10,000 days, you know, missing 30 of them by not walking 10,000 steps isn't, it's, it's not catastrophic. Only walking 30 days of 10,000 steps over the course of 10,000 days, that absolutely is not going to benefit me. But missing some days here and there because of other things showing up isn't cataclysmic. It's just merely an opportunity to say, okay, well, let's get back on it and let's get back to it. And I will, whether it's today or tomorrow, start back up on it just because I know, I know when I miss the gym for a week, like I basically have, I haven't been in the gym since I left for Oklahoma. Yet, you know, getting back in there that first day and just moving around and getting the blood pumping, it's going to reinvigorate me. Just like getting 10,000 steps will reinvigorate me. And I know it would reinvigorate you too because the human mind loves that sense of accomplishment. So I guess this whole little... Festivus for the rest of us conversation we're having right now is just that idea that streaks come and go, but it's a way of life that we're looking for. Water break. Um, That's what we're looking for is a new lifestyle. One day where things don't go exactly as we planned does not ruin all those other days. It's just the way that it is. I cannot get in a car at 9 a.m. and drive all the way till 9 p.m. and then expect you know, to magically have that hour and a half to go get those steps. Like there's going to be some of those days where we're like, okay, just chalk this up. You know if the key for me is to average ten thousand steps a day, and I one day I average a thousand, then over the course of the next twenty days, I merely need to get five hundred more steps each day to have made up for that one day where there was only a thousand steps like you see the math, I'm not gonna dive in too much deeper into this as much as it was just very interesting for me to go through the emotions of having something very important to me get stopped. And realizing, here we go, back to day one. Um, And then it also humbles me because whenever I have clients or I have people in the tribe or I just have friends who know that I do this for a living, come to me and say, man, I was doing really well. And then, boom, it just stopped. And now I'm trying to figure out how to get back up into gear. Uh, It's very humbling to go through that and know for myself what it feels like to have to restart and then be able to talk all y'all through it, too. And the best I've come up with is just feel the emotions, realize that it is what it is. And what can we do today to begin to move the needle forward again? It's not cataclysmic. It's not catastrophic. It's, it is whatever it is. I can choose to see it as cataclysmic and catastrophic, or I can just choose to see it as another beautiful challenge that life has proposed to me. Hey, you were rolling with this. This trip has been coming up. At the same time that you were there in Oklahoma, one class ended, another began. It was very difficult to manage my time in order to do both school and family things and and relationship things. And yeah, I mean, it was tough. From that Thursday till I got home, it just felt like as much as I was in a relaxing place, I wasn't relaxed. You know, so when we got out on that boat, you know, my favorite my favorite speed on that boat is seven miles an hour, (laughs) and I know it's because it's the number seven, and it's just fast enough to feel like you're moving, but not so fast that you can't just get up from the little captain's seat and go stand in the front of the boat, you know, and pretend I'm Leonardo DiCaprio from Titanic, yelling, you know, to the lake that I'm the king of the world, Uh, because you go seven miles an hour on a boat, you can and it's just a wide open lake, you literally can just get up from the steering wheel and the thing will just drive itself. And you can sit there and dance with a girlfriend and get some potato chips and crack open a fresh soda water. Uh, And 20 minutes will pass until you have to get back in the seat to turn the boat around to do it all over again. And so I did my best to lock that in, to anchor in those good memories because life is chaotic. Life is a lot at times. And again, that's subjective to perspective, but we're all going to have that moment in our life where we have to take our own emotions and our own responsibility for them and then determine what are we going to do with those emotions? Are we going to let it hold us back, feel like anchors around our feet, like we're walking through quicksand? Are we just going to feel into those emotions, say, well, shit, that happened. What can I do now? And then just keep moving forward. Because the human brain loves goals and it loves accomplishment. It likes the little, you know, kick the dopamine gets you up off the couch to get that serotonin hit. You know, it's all part of the pleasure loop. I've been talking about that on TikTok. If you want to jump over there and see any of those at Jesse Mogul, feel free. So that's two of the big things, right? We have the school and the anxiety that comes from that. Then we get the anxiety kick and the disappointment kick from breaking the 10,000 steps. And we're just sort of discussing this with you on how I have been able to move through these. And so we're going to close up the episode discussing the family that I've been helping uh, get their daughter into addiction recovery. And there was a really amazing opportunity to have a meeting with all of them recently at the center. And the big takeaway that came from that is that everyone's perception of everybody else in that room and in this world in general is very subjective to one another's perspectives. And we talked about subjective perspectives so much that I feel like we're just, you know, (laughs) going over and over and over it again. But I think it's so imperative that we continue to discuss it because I think people often don't notice it when it's happening. See, I can get into these rooms and I've been into many of these meetings before. There's a lot of emotion going on. And when you're only at month one for the person, you know, new to sobriety, having, you know, just come off of their alcohol and drugs of choice, she's still discombobulated by the entire process. And this isn't her first go around with an addiction recovery treatment center. So a lot of this can feel familiar, but at the same time be very different because it is a new place and there are new people and it's new material being presented. And a lack of personal responsibility was very much being displayed um, by her mainly because there's still that you did this to me this is your fault if you would have just done this or if you have just done that I wouldn't be here and I can understand how scary it feels to have to take full responsibility for one's life and the decisions that were made and looking around being like what the fuck did I do to get myself here as David Byrne of the Talking Heads says in the one song, this is not my beautiful house, this is not my beautiful life. Yes, it can burn to have to look in the mirror and realize this is on me. All this is my fault. I made these decisions. Whether I want to take responsibility and accept that it was me making these decisions, that is is what it is. It's because it's really irrelevant to the conversation. Somebody can sit here and say, Jesse, you did this to me, you did that to me, you did this to me, and I can be like, I don't do none of that to you. You made these choices that led you here. This is the consequence of your actions. You can continue to blame the parents, you can continue to blame the friends, you can continue to blame social media and society, but that does not change the predicament that you're in. It's very interesting to me how often and how much humans want to have control. We want control. We want control so badly that we'll argue about topics we don't even give a shit about just to feel some modicum of self-centered respect towards ourselves that says, ha, I know more than you. Ha, I won that conversation. Ha, I beat you to this or I did this better than you did. It's like getting in an argument about who won the Monopoly game. I mean, it's a game. It's meant to be fun. I'm not gonna sit here and get all grumpy because you bought park place and you know boardwalk before I do. Was that park place? Is that boardwalk fifth avenue? Whatever the blue ones are that are right by the go, right? <gasps> you got the green ones and I didn't and now I'm bankrupt. Okay, it was a fun game. We got to do this, we got to interact. Like I'm not gonna sit here and spike the board off the ground because I lost this one thing. It's one thing. And when Humans desire this control so much that we have to feel like we're right, right. I'm always right. I'm always right. I'm always right. So we get into these conversations. I'm literally in the middle of one this morning. And it's like, I'm right about this and you're wrong about that. No, I'm right about this. You're wrong about that. You know, And it wasn't screaming, which was awesome. That's a growth moment. But it certainly was confrontational. And it's just funny that... <laughs> Everybody in that room wants to have some level of control. But in those moments, we are literally ceding control to the other person. This is your fault because I had no control over my behavior or my actions or my choices because you did this. That is, I mean, I don't know if it's the definition textbook of literally the opposite of being in control, but it's pretty freaking close. Because if you want to be in control so much, And then try to place blame for your life upon somebody else and say, well, had you done this differently, I wouldn't be here. That's basically saying, I had no control over my destination. It was all on you. I was just riding along and shotgun, and then you pushed me out of the car, and now here I am at this addiction recovery center. F you. But that's not how life plays out. Whether we mean to make the decisions that we make or not, or it's just spur in the moment, it's a shotgun knee reaction, you know, to an emotional moment happening, and we just do something. And yes, I get it. We can be tranced, we can be in a pre programmed mode. Yeah, there is a lot of psychology going on. But in the end, it was still this person behaving this way in front of these people that. Ultimately, led to the consequence of you can no longer be in our house. This is the place that we can put you in. This is the place that you can be in. If you don't want to be in this place, you can check yourself out. This isn't a prison as much as you want to say that it is. You are free to walk out that front door. Just know that the road that you take to get home isn't to our house. That wherever you're going to lay your head isn't going to be under our roof. And that can sound very brutal to somebody in the throes of their beginning stages of sobriety and recovery, but we're to the stage where tough love is the only love that's left. And so when we notice in our own lives, where are we ceding control by saying, this is your fault because you did this, that I did that. You rolled your eyes, therefore I screamed back at you. You didn't take out the garbage, therefore I yelled at you and slammed the door and made all this fuss because you didn't take out the garbage when I told you to take out the garbage. There's going to be these opportunities throughout our lives where our emotional intelligence is going to be tested. It's just human experience. It's not like somebody wakes up every single day and says, I wonder how many different ways I can piss this person off. I mean, let's hope that most people don't wake up that way, though I don't know your particular circumstance, so I won't tend to try to act like I do. But certainly let's just assume that most people wake up and say, I'm just going to live my life and here's you know, to whatever happens. But it's that blind leading the blind. That's the part I don't want to adhere to anymore. I'm not just going to say, well, let's just see what happens. I'm going to do my best to direct each day in a way that not only benefits me, but it benefits my loved ones. It benefits the people in my house. It benefits the people I have contact with. And ultimately, I still know that it's me making these decisions. Right, I've been getting a lot of people asking me to do things outside of my office over the last month, and Masters is taking precedent over all of them. No, I can't come to your meeting. No, I can't come to your networking event. No, I can't be on the board of this, or no, I can't speak at that. Like There has to be a time where I say, I've got to figure this part out first, and then I'll be able to make time down the road. I'll be able to create that time. It's not anybody putting me in a position. I am making these decisions with absolute 100% self-awareness. I know when I'm starting to feel stretched thin. I know when things start to fall through the cracks. And I have to be mindful to step back and say, okay, what can be removed? What can be put on the back burner? Because I can't sit here and say, well, it's because of school that I can't go do this. Because school didn't tell me not to go do that. It just simply said, this is what we require of you to be here, to get good grades. This is what's going to be necessary. You can half-ass this. You can turn in C-work and you can get C-level intelligence and you can go off and have a C-level job if that's what you want. Or you can put in maximum effort, take as much as possible from this experience and then move forward knowing that you performed 100% to your best of your ability in that moment. Will my abilities get better down the line? Absolutely. I expect that growth. Just like in those meetings, I expect that first month to be tough. I expect it to be a lot of uh, blaming and complaining and making excuses. I don't expect 100% personal responsibility. In fact, that would almost make me feel like somebody was lying in those meetings. No, I expect it to feel discombobulating and confusing and there to be anger and sad and disappointed, all of it, all of it, because that's where we're at in this stage. So just being able to experience that and realize like, yes, there is going to be those moments where we're going to want to release our own personal responsibility and throw it back in somebody else's face. But then we're ceding our power to them. And as humans who so desperately want to have power, it's just funny to me that the first knee-jerk reaction we have when something doesn't go our way is to blame something else outside of ourselves for why it didn't go our way. I am not blaming the girlfriend or the father or the college football or the NFL Red Zone channel for why I didn't get 10,000 steps on Saturday and Sunday. I didn't get 10,000 steps on Saturday and Sunday because that... Didn't stay the priority. Other things became the priority. Things in that moment that I, I had determined were more important than figuring out a way to get 10,000 steps. Spending time with the family and with the girlfriend and watching some football and spending the day at the lake, that superseded 10,000 steps in the woods in the middle of the night. It just did. I'm not going to blame anybody. I made that decision, even if just unconsciously throughout Saturday, so that by the time I woke up on the couch at 1230 and realized the steps had not been accomplished, it was done. In fact, I didn't realize until the next morning I was half asleep when I woke up after the game. <sighs> Great game. Two overtimes, 98-yard drive. Just simply marvelous. But either way, I took on that. That's me. It's on me. Those things didn't get done because of decisions I made. I am not going to cede my power to somebody else and say, this is your fault. I didn't accomplish this thing because you wanted me to watch football. If I'd have been like, hey, Dad, I'm going to go get some steps. 11 o'clock at night in the woods? Yeah, man, I, I got to get these steps. He had let me do it previously on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night without saying anything. Because he knew it was important to me. And I didn't tell him I was making the conscious decision to not finish getting those steps on Saturday. I just sat down next to him and started watching football after dinner. So in these meetings, noticing a lack of personal responsibility, I expect that. And I'm saying this to you because you might find yourself at the beginning stage of getting sober, at the beginning stages of starting up a new habit. And maybe you get checked by life, and you don't get to keep your 10,000 steps, or you have to meet somebody face-to-face for the first time in 30 days after it was a very contentious goodbye, and there might be that desire in you to kick back and and blame them and complain about them and make excuses for your behavior and throw all your power at at their feet and see what they do with it. It's a natural human experience. It's something that we have done for years of our lives even as kids. Oh, why'd you hit your sister? She hit me first. She made me do it. Nope. She didn't make you do anything. You chose to hit back, but it's something that it gets programmed in. And it's just part of the things that we seek to be self-aware of now in order to take on absolute personal responsibility for our behaviors, our actions, and our results. Our thoughts and feelings are ours and ours alone that we make meanings in our heads. And then it kicks back a bunch of outputs. And that's what we get to contend with for the rest of our lives. (laughs) But it's the self-awareness of realizing like, hey, this family is in just the exact stage I expected them to be in. In fact, I feel very confident the way the conversation ended that this next month away from each other is going to be even more full of growth and opportunities for healing. And for myself, I realize that I have to take personal responsibility for the fact that I signed up for school. I chose to do this. I am the one who committed to this. It doesn't mean that I can let all the rest of my other commitments fall through the cracks. If I've made commitments and I continue to make commitments, I have to make them knowing that it's up to me to create time for everything to have its opportunity in the spotlight. It's not, I cannot start calling people up saying, sorry, I can't make this meeting I committed to because I've got schoolwork. Because there are other opportunities during my day. Or maybe I have to push through a little fatigue. I have to push through a little bit of negative, you know, emotions around the fact that, man, I'd really rather just, you know, go sit on the couch or go lay out in the sun. But nope, I've got this 500-word essay I've got to get done. And it's, you know, do I want to get it done today or do I want to get it done on Saturday morning? Because one way or another, it's got to get done. And anything less than an A in this class, I'm I'll, by all means, if that's what, you know, comes out of me is B, you know, grades and B rated material, then I at least want to know I put hundred percent of myself into that B. I don't want to half-ass my way to B's. I did that for 12 years at Ball State in Valencia and the University of Florida. And I know what it's like to half-ass and just pray for the C. We're not doing that this go around. but It's going to be up to me to create the time to do all of the things I want to do or start limiting things that I want to do. Because right now this might be what it has to be. So I want you to notice in your own life where are you taking on new exciting opportunities and then where do you start having the chance to say no to other opportunities because there's always an opportunity cost. If you say yes to being sober, then you're eventually you're going to say no to going to the sports bar with your favorite friends on a Sunday and watching football because you know you're just going to watch them slug down beers for six hours and you'd rather just sit at home by yourself and watch football than be around these people getting blasted. At some point, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to a lot of other things. And I just want you to be mindful of that and be prepared for the emotional surge. And then if appropriate and something that you're driven to do, have a conversation with those people and just simply say, hey, I've made this commitment and this is what I'm going to do because I'm going to follow through with this commitment. I had that opportunity to say that on Saturday and Sunday and I chose differently. And that's okay too. And the fact that after waking up Sunday morning and all that jazz and realizing the steps had been stopped, I was like, okay, this is my chance to just release the pressure, get home and restart it back up. Didn't mean I was thrilled with myself, but it still meant, I mean, I'm still alive. I'm still kicking. Let's just see what I can do about it now. All right. 117 is pretty far away from day one, substantially further away than it was at 73, But either way, 117 days are getting ready to pass. I mean, yeah, that's roughly four months, you know, from this, assuming that October one's not that far away, you know, you got October to November, November to December, December to January, January to February. You know, we're looking right around that time. It's like, okay. So I went from having this whole 117 thing done by, you know, middle of November to now it won't be accomplished till February. Such is life. But either way, the sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set, and I'm going to wake up. And if I don't wake up, then I guess it doesn't matter what day I'm on. (laughs) And lastly, just to tie this all up, when you feel that anxiety, when you feel this surge of emotions, you know, if you can continue to move forward, then I'm telling you from my perspective, that's powerful because there's going to be a lot of opportunities to stop. That's almost like what the brain wants. Stop. Think about this for a minute. Are you really sure you care about it this much? But you know you care about it this much because you've already made the decision. This is why I plan my days out days in advance because I'm not going to allow a Wednesday to pass without going to the gym because Wednesday at 1.30, I don't feel like going to the gym. But it's on the calendar. I've already decided. So get into the gym, lift something heavy, the blood will start to pump, put on some fun music, and before you know it, an hour and 15 minutes has passed and the workout's done. When we allow our days to just go by unplanned and unstructured? Is it any wonder that we hit the pillow at night thinking we didn't do anything that day, that we have nothing that we can say was accomplished? And not every day needs to be remarkable. Not every day needs to feel like you won the Super Bowl. Even like I talk about Michael Phelps and all these Olympic athletes. I mean, you know, they go, they swim, they swim, they swim for the hopes that four years later, they get to be the one standing at the top of the podium. A lot of days are the grind that gets you to that moment of celebration. These days, staring at the computer screen, freaking out about how I'm going to write a 1,500-word essay on the morbidity and cross-addiction of substance abuse disorders when there's a presenting mental health, psychological um issue also presenting itself, I'm not even saying it right, but that's basically what I got to write an essay on, is what happens when an alcoholic is sitting in front of you who also might be suffering from depression or schizophrenia. Like, right, How do you know what the, what's being presented is about the alcoholism? And how do you know what's being presented is about the mental health issue? I have no idea how I'm going to write this paper yet, but I can't wait to get into it and figure it out. And that's the energy I want for you all to have. I don't know how I'm going to figure it out, but I can't wait to just start figuring it out and then just get up on your feet or sit down at the desk, it's sort of a dichotomy. Some things you need to get up on your feet to do and other things you need to sit down to do. Or you have a stand-up desk like me and you can stand up, be on your feet and be getting work done. But either way, figure out your system. Don't blame other people for why it's not getting done and get down into it. Even one minute a day of ab workout is better than no minutes a day of ab workout. Personal responsibility. Understanding the emotional surges are a, are a signal from your body that something is happening that's important to pay attention and realize that streaks start and streaks stop what's important is that you as a human being don't stop your journey on your own personal growth mission it's it is who we are either way the days are going to pass by suns will rise suns will set And yet, we'll still be here, looking at ourselves in the mirror. What do you want to say to yourself right before you go to bed? Figure that out and then reverse engineer it. So when you wake up that morning and your feet first hit the ground, you begin creating a day that you can finish by saying those positive affirmations back to yourself right before you go back to bed. And yes, some days are wins. Some days are less than wins but it's the desire to win our own day, to be better than we were when we woke up. That desire can fuel everything moving forward. But that's the key is it's the moving forward because desire and intention add up to a hill of beans without the action and the motivation and the movement forward. One way or another, I'm going to get to the end of these two years with school. One way or another, this family is going to end the year in the program. One way or another, I'm going to get to 117 days of 10,000 steps. I would rather be enjoying the ride along the way than finding the whole thing miserable and making excuses for my behavior. You have the same choice. You decide who do you want to be. Joyful and enjoyable or miserable and defeated. Because either way, the sun's coming up. All right, my friends, go out there, celebrate National Recovery Month, talk about the show, talk about cool things you're doing, journal about what you're doing. Find me on social media, tell me what's going on. And if you want to learn neuro-linguistic programming for me, go find me at com slash me. hit on the NLP certification course, fill out the quick little survey and I will get back with you. Or you can just go to callcoachjesse.com and set up your own 30-minute quickie call with me. Let me learn a little bit about you and let's see if NLP is exactly what you've been looking for. Other than that, thank you so much. Again, did not mean to go so long. Oh my goodness, 53 minutes. This is what happens whenever I get on the microphone without my glasses on. I don't know what time it is. (laughs) inclusivity over exclusivity the power of positive energy release and flow every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober shout out to sunshine shout out to Robert glow on we'll see you next week bye bye